you guys look great. Just a huge shout out to all of our students who went to Go Weekend. Did y'all have a great weekend? You guys are awesome. Adults, can we give it up for the, for the youths? Dan, the youths of America. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, glad to have you here. My name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at OneChurch.tv. Our mission is to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited that you're here because we are talking about... Anybody want to get some context clues? Bold. Thank you very much. In fact, Bold is more than just a teaching series. Bold really is a season of where we're going uh, as a church over the next two to five years. And, you know, as we've been processing through what it might look like to be bold, one of the things that I've really landed on this week is I really do believe all of us want to live our lives boldly. All of us want to live our lives courageously, and we want to do something to make a difference, and that really matters. But sometimes, the biggest difference between being bold and being bored is believing the impossible is possible. Let me uh, tell you of a true story about a guy by the name of George Dancing. George Dancing uh, enrolled as a graduate student uh, in, in statistics of the University of California at Berkeley. And uh, he was late to class one day, and he missed the professor when he went up to the chalkboard and he wrote down two unsolvable, impossible problems. And he wrote down these problems on the board, and dancing because of being late, missed that they were unsolvable. So he got the class late, kind of a little bit crazy, and says, oh my gosh, and he sees, he thinks, a homework assignment. So he jots down these two problems, and he goes home and he starts to work on them. Well, it took a little bit longer than he thought, but he turned his work in, and about a week later, he hears this huge pounding at the door of his little small one-bedroom apartment, and it was his professor, and he was frantic. And George went and talked to him and says, I'm I'm sorry uh, that I was late with the assignment, and the professor says, no, you don't seem to understand. You just solved two problems that were unsolvable. And that's when it sunk in. That George dancing, not knowing that it was unsolvable and impossible, did the impossible. You know, I I love that. In fact, that story of George, you may have seen this movie as well because this movie uh, portrays a kind of in fiction what happened in real life with George dancing that the professor puts a problem up on the board and he solves it George dancing finishes his doctorate and in 1975 he won the National Medal of Science with through some of his algorithms that he wrote starting on that day in fact uh, even today his legacy still lives on because um, there are uh, airplane flights. Uh, they get their algorithms of how they're going to land and when they're going to take off through George's work. Um, uh, people with investment firms are still using George's statistical data that he formed uh, while he was an undergraduate working on statistics. And what's so amazing is even people who uh, uh, work on uh, oil rigs and oil refineries are using his algorithms, and it's still making an impact today. And I really do believe that the genesis of all of this happened when he, ch- when he was accidentally late to class. How many of y'all are, are you're regularly late? To tell the truth, shame the devil. 
all right? My wife is not here. If she was here, she would have to raise her hand, all right? This is a good time where, you know what, being late really was a good thing for George because George says this a little bit later. He says this, If someone had told me that those were two famous, impossible, and solvable problems, I probably would have never tried to solve them. You see, George Dancing could have lived his life in complete boredom if he had believed that the impossible is impossible. But George, because of some advantageous being late to class, he believed that the impossible was possible, and he became bold. And he moved from obscurity and into the spotlight. Here's the crazy thing about this. Uh, Henry Ford says this way, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you are right. I like that because if you think you can't, you're never going to do it. In fact, my dad, he came up with this little thing when I was a kid. He always told me, he says, can't, never could. It's bad English, but it's some good, a good idea right there. Can't, never could. Because if you believe that you can't, you're never ever going to ask, seek, or knock. You're never ever going to pray bold prayers. You're never going to ask God for the miracle. And you're never going to expect the impossible. And really, faith and our faith in God is unlearning every assumption except one. And that assumption is that our God is able. And not just able, that our God is able to do all things and more than able. And not even just more than able, but look at what it says in Ephesians 3.20. That God is able to do what? Immeasurably far more than we could ever hope, ask for, or imagine. He does everything by his power that is working within us. So we're in this season of our church we're calling bold. And what we're talking about is our dream and our goal over the next five years. That our two to five year goal, we have two bold goals. And our, our first bold goal is to get into a permanent facility. For the past seven years, we've been portable. And we feel like it's time to find and get a permanent facility. So if you didn't get those uh, bold stuff last year, maybe you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go to the bold table and you can pick up some stuff and learn all about bold. But let me tell you, it's not about a building for us. It never has been. Um, we want to get a permanent location so that we can be able to have a little bit more bandwidth so that we can launch another one church and that is our second bold goal is we want to start a one church here in clarksville that eventually we're going to want to start a one church across state lines to see where the majority of our men and women in the military are moving to pcsing to and we start a one church there let me i'm going to take off notes just for a sec it's a little scary but i'm going to tell you how this plays out my wife is in tucson arizona this morning she just got finished texting me. We've been FaceTiming. She's having a grand time. And uh, what was so cool, she went running uh, five miles uh, a, couple of, a couple of days ago, and she leaned up against this van. And, uh, and, and this guy whose van it was starts coming towards him, and Kim's like, I know that dude. And she's leaning up against the, arche uh, the antique archaeology van of Mike from American Pickers. <laughs> I kid you not. If you're Facebook friends with her, you need to go in and look at the picture. It's pretty humorous, right? So, um, but uh, the reason why she's in Tucson is there was a lady and a family who used to be involved in OneChurch.tv. Her name is Heidi Day. And Heidi Day uh, and her family, they went to One Church for years until the Army PCS'd them to Fort Huachuca in Arizona. So Heidi was doing this FRG group, and she said, Hey, Kim, would you mind coming and leading worship? So Kim and another lady from 
one church, Natalie, went, and they're actually leading worship right now as we are hanging out with, uh, with you this morning. whole point of that is we want to figure out where those families are moving to so that when they leave onechurch.tv here in Clarksville, they're able to go to onechurch.tv in Fort Benning, in, in Fort Bragg, in some of these, what was that? Person? Carson, Fort Carson, right? In Colorado. I'd love to go to Colorado because the Larson's going to Colorado. All right, good. Anyway, all right, um, so uh, it's just so cool. That, that's our dream. Now, here's the thing I believe that dream is bigger than all of us. I really do. It's going to take more than, than just what we have here. But here's the cool thing we can either choose, we can say, you know what, that's impossible. We're never going to do that. And you know what? We would be right. Or we can say, you know what? We believe that our God can make and take the impossible and make it possible. And we can continue to be boring. Or we can say, you know what? We're going to be bold. And my, my challenge for you to this morning is I'm going to be talking about a lot of stuff, specifically for one passage of Scripture from John chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But I'm going to challenge you because you're either going to choose to live a boring life and go the status quo and go normal but let me tell you bold is attack on boring bold is attack on normal and we and our prayer for you is that we're praying that you would be bolder than ever all right so john chapter six is where we're going to be at john uh, what's so amazing about this this is your first time here at one church great time for you to be here because we're going to be looking at life of jesus now here's the cool thing about jesus we don't just have one story about jesus from one different perspective we have four different stories from four different perspectives and they all give us the complete picture of who jesus is it's so awesome i'll give you an example when you go back and you look at again ancient history like caesar and some of this stuff we only have 10 extant copies of like written about julius caesar we have over 5,000 manuscripts that all talk about jesus so that should give you some reason to say you know what maybe i should listen to this but in john chapter 6 we're going to see jesus do one of his most famous miracles in fact for some of you if you've been to church maybe you bounced out of church a while back you're as i read this you're going to go oh i got this i know how this is going to end and and you're going to say it's going to be you know okay i get it i get it but i want you to try to pretend that this is the first time you've heard it in fact even better pretend that you're in this story How would you act? How would you react? What would you be thinking? So in John chapter 6, let's look at this impossible, unprobable, unsolvable statistical problem that we have. Jesus crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd of people followed him. They had seen the miraculous signs he had done on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside. There he sat down with his disciples, and Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him. So he said to Philip, Hey, Phil, where can we buy some bread for these people to eat? Here's the problem. Here's this impossible, unsolvable statistical problem. You have, we're going to see, 5,000 men. In fact, not just 5,000 men, that doesn't include the women and children. Some commentators believe that there's as many as 20,000 people there on this hillside. But just for conservative purposes, we're going to go 5,000. So 5,000 men, and they hungry. And not just hungry, but they hungry. Anybody ever been hungry? 
Some of you, you hungry right now. You're like, Pastor, you need to wrap this up because the Cracker Barrel's calling my name. All right? I get that. I get that. But the, the 5,000 men who are hungry, and we're going to see that there's not any food anywhere in the crowd except for one little boy. One little boy packed a sack lunch. And he has five barley loaves and two fish. You see, this is what this looks like here. Five plus two equals what? All right, come on now. Some of you are like... Uh. Right? I know some of you, what you're thinking. Yes, I, I get pedicures and I have attractive toes. Thank you very much. I'm just Anyway, you see, five plus two, we think, equals seven. But let me tell you, when you put God in your equation, that is not true. Let me show you what it looks like. Five plus two equals 5,000 with a remainder of 12. Because what we see in this miracle, this impossible situation, this statistical, unsolvable problem, is that when you give five loaves and two fish to Jesus, oh, come on now. He can take your little and make it a lot. It's going to feed 5,000 people with a remainder of 12 basketfuls. And that's our big idea today. Our big idea simply says this. If you put what you, ha what you have in God's hands, he will make a lot out of a little. Can we say that together? If you put what you have in God's hands, he will make a lot out of a... He will make a... Out of a... There you go, all right? You see, God can multiply it. You know, God doesn't do addition. Now, some of you, you don't do addition either. I get that. I don't do addition. First F I ever made on a report card, my freshman year in high school in algebra. Miss Lowe was her name. And, um, and she was low. She was actually a nice lady. Uh, I, it, the problem wasn't her. The problem was moi. Because I stink at math. I do. Here's the thing. God doesn't do addition. You know what God does? He does multiplication. So today, we're going to be looking at this miracle of multiplication. And just so that you don't think that this is just a one-time occurrence, that he only does this multiplication once. If you look at the Bible, type in multiplication, you're going to see this word multiplication in all of its forms occurs about 100 times all throughout the Bible. In fact, this past week, I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 13. It says this, God will love you and bless you and what? multiply you and increase you that's it so let's look and see what kind of bold miracle god can do in me and in you if we take what's in our hands and we give it to jesus because when we do that he can make a lot out of a little verse five and six jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him so he said to philip where can we buy bread for those these people to eat he asked this only to put Philip to the what? Test. For Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Now let me just stop right here. Test. If you grew up anywhere between 1963 and 1997, you're going to be familiar with what's on the screens up here. Y'all take a listen. This is a test. This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. Anybody, let me see, see your hands if you're some of y'all you were born in 2008 just keep your hands down you're like what was that that was a little weird that happened on all the television shows usually around seven o'clock at night 
when you wanted to watch A Team or Magna P.I. on Thursdays. Anybody remember Magna P.I.? I'm telling you, I had a man crush on Magnum. Just saying, love me some Magna P.I. Love me some Magna P.I., right? I don't know if I should have said that. Um, so we're going to move on. Nobody tweet that. Seriously. All right. Moving on. Hey, I see what you do with your phone, sir. Put it down. I'm just joking. All right. Our pastor loves Tom Selleck. Hashtag. Right. Jesus, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. I don't even know where I'm at. I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> test. Test. I'm going to talk about test. You see, I think God, he wants to give us a test, but it's going to last longer than 60 seconds, and it's going to be a test of the emergency faith system. Now, here's the thing about this. When I say the word test, do you get positive feelings or negative feelings? I'm with you. Me too. In fact, I have been out of school for years, and I, um, I still have nightmares about forgetting that there's a test and going to class. Anybody still have those nightmares? Some of you are like, I am 13 years old. Yes, I still have those nightmares. I'm living them. I get that. 14, my, my B, my B, all right? But here's the thing. Follow me on this one. For those who have graduated high school, how did you get your diploma? By taking a test. Well, let's talk about this. It, it, for those who have your driver's license, how did you get your driver's license? But not just a test, you had to take a written test and a driving test. See, no test equals no diploma. No test equals no driver's license. So let me say it this way. No test equals no testimony. What's a testimony? Testimony is just wanting God to do something amazingly bold in and with your life. And you see, all of us, we want to have one of those great, bold stories that God's like, yeah, and God did this, and this happened, and there was this terrible thing, but this happened. We all want that. But none of us want the lives to be able to live like that so that we could be able to get that bold story. We don't want the test. We don't. You see, we just want the status quo. We just want the normal. We just want to blend in. Let me tell you, blending in isn't bold. Status quo isn't bold. It's not. And, and bold is attack on normal. Bold is attack on boredom. So as we look into this, well, let's look at this from this test because Jesus, being the brilliant teacher that he is, he gives a pop quiz. He gives a test. And what's amazing is that Jesus' disciples, they actually flunked the last test because he actually did this with them before. He fed 4,000 and, and they're like, hey, what's five plus two? And they go, seven. And, you know, Jesus goes, eh, right? They failed it there. So being merciful as he is, he says, okay, let's do this again. Let's, let's retry this, right? Look at verse seven. Philip answered him. This is, he's answering the test. Eight months' pay would not be enough to buy bread for each one of these people to have what? One bite. Eight months wages. So he's doing some figuring up. He says, you know what? Jesus, stop. This is impossible. This is unsolvable. In fact, this just doesn't add up. And I think there's going to be moments when God tells us to do something, and you know what? God's will just doesn't add up. That being bold, it just doesn't add up. That we can do some quick calculations like Philip did in eight months wages. Now, I'm not going to ask you to shout it out or anything, but I'll just do some figuring right now. 
what does eight months' wages look like to you? Just do some calculations. If, if, if you're doing that in your mind, let me, let me see your hands. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to share it, but what does that look like, okay? Whatever eight months' wages is, add that up in your mind. And here's the question. Are you willing to be bold and see God show up and show out and make an impossible situation possible? Or are you just going to stick to boredom? Because this is where the tension is in this story. Eight months' wages can keep us from seeing God take the impossible and make it possible. And one of the things that we struggle with our faith so much usually has an issue about money. It just is. I don't know what it is. God is testing you right now. And some of it, it may be a single issue. Okay? Can you, can you stay sexually pure when you're single? Because here's the thing. If you can stay sexually pure when you're single, guess what? It's going to be a whole lot easier to you, you to be, remain faithful when you get married. Here's another one. If you're an E1 or an E2, okay, if you, when you first join the army and you enlist in the army, all right, you're a private. Y'all correct me if I'm wrong, army folk, right? E1. I didn't know this. Did you know that you can go and Google what an E1 makes? I didn't know this, right? Um, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but you, you know what? If you're an E1 or you're an E2 and you're giving to God... It's going to be a lot easier if you're doing that as you're an E1 or E2 until you become an E7 or an E8. It's a little bit harder then. Why? Because there's a test. And this is the whole thing that Jesus said it this way. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And one of the biggest things that is kind of our litmus test of what our, where our faith is and do we trust that God can take the impossible and make it possible. We can talk all about that in church, all we want to. We can amen, yes, Jesus, and all of this. But you know what? what where, the, where, where everything comes down to it is are we going to trust him with our finances? All right? So let's dig into this. Luke uh, 6.38. And I, before we go there, I just want to kind of tell you a little bit about our church because we've had to go through this, the, you know, are we going to trust God? I've shared with you some of my issues of tithing and are we going to really trust God? And it was only when we started OneChurch.tv that, that we finally huh, that we became obedient um, with trusting in, in God and say, okay, God, we're going to give to you what you ask. But up to that point, uh, I, I, for years, Kim and I were disobedient. And, and, and it's not that we just didn't want to obey God. It's just we didn't have the faith to obey God. We didn't. And we thought, you know what? We're not making enough. And if we made more, then we could actually obey God. And it, it kind of played itself out this way at OneChurch.tv. When we uh, started OneChurch.tv back in September 9, 2007, our first month's offering was $6,000. Now, it cost $4,000 a month for us to rent the movie theater. That left us with two, right? $2,000, right? Now, that, that's $2,000 that we had to take salaries out of and for us to do ministry and all of this stuff. And, you know, I'm sweating bullets. I'm like, mm. um, and, and, and I was just like, and, and we had this conviction that, you know what, we're going to take 13% of what we give, and we're going to give that towards missions. And we did that. And I remember thinking, okay, uh, if this trend continues, our annual budget is going to be $72,000 a year. In 13% of that. How is that going to work out? So I remember when we wrote that $3,120 check, 
And I was just like, God, how can we give something that we don't have? How can we do that? But again, we weren't even self-supporting. Uh, you know, another church paid for my salary, but we still had two other salaries. And we're like, how are we going to do this? But here's the thing. We did it. And you know what God did? He took our 2007 annual budget of grand $72,000, and the next year, our annual budget, he increased it to $257,600. $257,600. It over tripled. Now, how do I explain that? Simple. You can't outgive God. Luke 6.38 says this. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running all over, will be poured into your lap with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. That's how I can say it. And I'm just saying, when you, you cannot outgive God. Play it. Play that game. In fact, test him on that. I mean, and I hear me, I don't, believe, I don't believe in a prosperity gospel that God's job is to make you rich. I don't believe that a bit. Not at all. I don't believe that God is like a slot machine that we put in a quarter and we can get what we want. Not at all. But here's what I do believe. I believe that if God blesses you, it's not to raise your standard of living, but he's wanting to raise your standard of giving. Because the reason God blesses you so much is so that you can be a blessing to others. That's the reason why he blessed Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. I am blessing you so that you will be a blessing to everyone. If God blesses you, it's not to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of getting. And there's nothing wrong with you wanting to make more money. Nothing wrong with that. God never says, no, don't want to make more money. God's going, yeah, sure. But remember, when you make money, I want you to give to me. I want you to give to me. So here's my point. Don't wait until you have 5,000 fish in your hand to start giving. Don't wait till you, until you have 5,000 pieces of bread for you to start doing something for God. Because if you wait until it all adds up, you're never going to do it. Did you know that? You're never going to do it. If you wait until it all calculates in your head, you're never going to give. You're never going to adopt. You're never going to trust God. You're never going to go on that mission trip. You're never, ever going to go back to school because it doesn't add up. If you wait to do what you should be doing until it adds up, let me tell you, you're going you're gonna to live a boring life, and you're not going to be bold. But if you want to be bold, then you take what's in your hands and you put it in Jesus' hands because when you take your little, he makes it a, come on now. All right, now, Malachi chapter 3 says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, that's a kind of a churchy word, tithe. What does it mean? It literally means a percentage, and it's 10% that what God asks is for us to take 10% and give it to him first. I'm going to keep on reading. Then he says this. What's this word right here? You see, God's testing us, but you hear, you know what God is telling us to do? That we can test him. We can test him. And he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough for it. Again, what's the principle? God can't give back what you don't give away. God cannot give back what you don't give away. In other words, you will be so blessed, there is no way that you can hold on to all of it, and you're just going to share it with others. And I really do believe tithing is trusting. Tithing, that when you tithe, you're saying, I trust you, God. That God, I trust you can do more with the 90% that I have than in, and I give you the 10 than if I kept all the 100 by myself. That God, I am putting you first. 
And I'm telling you, I've seen this work in my own life. That yes, he's able, he, sometimes he has blessed us financially. There's been some times that we've given and we didn't see a financial blessing, but he's been able to give us other blessings that money can't buy. He's been able to heal marriages and restore children and do some amazing things because we trusted him. Because that's what tithing is. Tithing is trusting. Go back to Philip. He says, eight months wages will not buy enough piece of bread to give people uno baito. In other words, Philip's saying, it's going to take a miracle. It doesn't add up. And Andrew says the same thing. Another of his disciples spoke up. It was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He said, here is a boy with how many loaves and how many fish? But how far will that go with such a large crowd? Andrew's saying, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. But I don't want to focus on Andrew right now. I want to focus on this little boy. This little boy had... His mama maybe packed it for him. We don't know, but he had five small blows, two small fish, and out of 5,000 people, he's the only one with a sack lunch, and somebody got this dude to share. That's a miracle in itself, right? How many of y'all, parents of toddlers, raise your hands. you ever been a parent of a toddler? What's their favorite word? That's exactly right. So that this kid shared anything? Miracle, right? It is. I mean, but think about this. This one act of this young boy's giving his lunch, giving his entire lunch became the catalyst of Jesus, one of his greatest and most well-known miracles. In fact, let me say it this way. (laughs) If this boy didn't share his five loaves and two fish, I don't believe this miracle of multiplication would have happened. Why? Because God doesn't do the supernatural until we pull our weight and we do the natural. I mean, almost every time, almost every time, when God does a miracle, God says beforehand, I want to see what you're going to do first. That's really important. You see this all throughout the scriptures. When Jesus, in in, in Cana, in John chapter 2, he says, okay, y'all ran out of wine for the party. Did y'all know Jesus went to parties? Some of y'all, you know, I I think that partying is bad. Well, you wouldn't like Jesus, Right? By the way, Jesus turned not water into grape juice. Anybody, anybody hear me? It, it wasn't Welch's. Right? Now, some of you, you grew up Baptist and you offended. Merry Christmas. All right? That's, that's just what the Bible says. Let, let's, let's don't take stuff out of the Bible, people. All right? So Jesus says, okay, y'all ran out of wine. Here's what we're going to do. Jesus asked them. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these jars and I want you to fill it up with water and they took took six big stone jars and filled them up with water and you know what Jesus did then he turned the water into here's the thing if they had not filled up those jars there would be no wine if they would have not put water in those why because in almost every miracle there is some type of part that we must play Let's keep on going. <clears throat> Andrew said, here's a boy with five small loaves of barley bread. He also has two small fish. But how far will that go with such a large crowd? And again, Andrew's saying, it doesn't add up. And you know, he, I think he got stuck. Philip got stuck. This is where they, they kind of missed the boat. And I've got to be honest with you. 
when we're talking about bold, I think that's where, if we're not careful, that most of us, we're going to get stuck. Let me talk just briefly about some of our goals. Our goal over the next two years is to be able to raise over and above our regular offerings $750,000. That $750,000 will enable us to be able to move some dirt so that we can start building a building on that property right here at Exit 1. Here's what, again, I don't think that anybody in here just has $750,000 lying around. Anyone? If you raised your hand, let's talk afterwards. You and me, just saying, all right? But seriously, I don't think any of us have that type of money. When we look up, when we look up something that, like that, that bold goal, we're like, that's impossible. There's no way we could do that. Okay, let's stop. I get that. In fact, psychologists, they call this idea of, you know what, being presented the facts and these big statistics, it, it many times it paralyzes us and it doesn't motivate us. They call this idea of the drop-in-the-bucket mentality and the, the drop-in-the-bucket effect, that when we're overwhelmed by a problem or by statistics, instead of it motivating us, we are paralyzed and we do nothing. Okay, none of us got 750. I got that. That's not the right question to ask. The right question is not, do you have $750,000? Here's the question all of us to be asking. Do we have 75? We got 75 in here? I know the youth are going, I ain't got that. Okay. You can tune out for the next two minutes of talking to your parents. <laughs> so, see, we, if you think about it, we all have $75. We all have something like that. We do. In fact, let me just give you some statistics. And this is not me to beat anybody over the head. By the way, before I do this, I don't know what anybody gives. I know what I give, and that's it. Okay? Um, but our bookkeeper and some other folks have been able to put this data together so that you know, we can be able to see kind of where our breakdown. We have, over the past year, in 2014, we've had 220 families or people give to OneChurch.tv. 220 families. And I'm so grateful for all of you. Everything that you do, everything that you give, 100% goes towards a leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Stop right there, though. Of the 220 families, let's take half of those. Did you know 110 families or people gave less than $499 for the year? So let's break that down. That breaks down to about $9 a week. $9 a week, okay? Cool. $9 a week. If those 110 people, half of our church, increase that by $10, do some math with me. How much is that? $19 a week. Very good. That if they just increased it $10 and they gave $19,000 a week, let me show you what that figure looks like. That over two years, look at the figure of just those half people, if they just increased it by 10 bucks. We're almost a third of the way to our $750,000 bold goal. Now, that's crazy. Now, you're thinking, okay, I could do 19. Stop. Is 19 bold enough for you? Okay, I'm not asking you to say it out loud. Right? Now, hear me. Let me say this. 19, bu uh, 19 bucks. If you give $19, let me tell you uh, what your, um, if that's your 10%. Let me say, if that's your 10%, you need to... Raise your head high because you are obeying God. This isn't about how much you give. It's all about percentages, right? So, but if you give $19 a week, that means your annual income is $9,000. And again, if that's you, that's awesome. But let me just be honest with you. I think most of us in here probably make more than $9,000 if we have a job. Right? We do. 
So let's, let's push down on that even further. In fact, let me just tell you, the E1, the private, some of y'all say, what's that, all right? An E1 makes $18,378 annually. 10% of that, that's $38 a week. That's double the 19, right? And again, I know we have some E1s, and you know what? God's not asking you to give $6,000. He's just saying, you know, I want you to be obedient with the little that you have because I can take your little and make it all right. Now, let me give you some statistics a little bit about, again, our church. All right, The, um, the 2010 census says that the average household income is $63,000 a year. And this is 2010. Now, I know some of you are like going, uh-uh, no, sir. No, sir. All right, that's cool. We can live with that. But again, this is, uh, again, the statistic, the demographic says that's two people working. So they're making about a little over 30 grand per person. Now, here's what I know. Some of you aren't making 63000 Okay, I get that. Some of you are making more than that. But let's just work out this number. If that was the average household income, this is what the budget, if 100% of those people, the 220, tithe on that 63000 we would be, our budget at one church would be $1,323,000. Let me tell you what our budget actually is. This year is the largest it's ever been. And the reason why it's, uh, it was 410000 last year, it's increased to this this year because we bought some land, and guess how much the land payment is? $60,000 a year. So $470,000. So, so and again, I know your pushback. I don't make sixty-three. Okay, let's cut that in half. Let's remove all excuses. Let's say you and your family make $30,000. This is what that looks like. If we reduce the household income to $30,000 a year and everyone, the 220 people, tithe, gave 10%. So $30,000, that's $3,000 a year, correct? Look at this. Our church, that would be $660,000 annually. What's our bowl, two-year bowl goal? 750. This is in one year, 660. Now, if you if that's if you if you work that out in the two years, that that's one million three hundred twenty thousand. And this is what I've heard from our elders, from my friends, and uh, who I'm in small group. I got a good friend named Adam Young. He's doing guard down in Alabama. His and he confronted me pretty rough about three months ago. He says, "Dude, I don't think we're being bold enough." And I'm like, "Hang on, Sparky. All right, I'm with you, but I also know." that with 110 people just kind of not really giving hardly anything. We want to make this bold go bold, but we also want to make it achievable. Now, again, some of you are like, well, is that, don't you want to do the impossible? We do. But it really is going to be dependent upon whether or not you and I are obedient. I'll tell you, Kim and I are already processing what can we do to carve out more margin in our life so that we can give more. I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So this is what we did. Last week, I called Clarksville Department of Electricity, and I unbundled, and I got rid of cable. Now, here's the thing. Uh, you know, I, I, we've not had cable before. Um, when we were in a rough spot, and I'd lost my job, like back in another state, we had to kill it. I know that's first world part problems. I get that. But let me tell you, just by doing that, we saved $85 a month that we're going to give more towards bold. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm not saying kill cable. I am asking you, for you and your spouse, or maybe you're single, what would it look like 
for bold to boldly give and to boldly have faith in God, what would that look like for you? For some of you, it would just be finally actually obeying him and giving 10%. And that leads me to this question. And this question, man, it's going to leave a mark. It is. And how much would you have to make for you to finally trust God and be obedient with your giving? How much would you have to make? What's that dollar figure? Is that eight months wages? And I, got, I struggled with that for years, guys. I remember being a part in churches, and for eight years, I did not get one raise. And it was easy for me to use that as an excuse to say, you know what, we just can't afford to give. <laughs> but if I'm only making $9,000, you know what, I can give nineteen. It really isn't about your bottom line. It is about, do you have faith in God? Do you want to dream bold dreams, and do you believe that God can take the impossible and make it possible? Let's get back to John chapter 6. We have five loaves of bread, two fish, and we're going to see that when you put in God's hands what you got, he's going to make a lot of a little. Jesus said, have these people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, and the number of men was about 5,000. Now look at these next words. Then Jesus did what? took the loaves. Now, I want to stop right there because some of you, you're like Philip and you're like Andrew. Okay, I only got 19 bucks. I can only do nine bucks. God, this isn't about guilt. This is about, you know, I don't know what I can do with the little I've got. Let me say this. It's above your pay grade and my pay grade to worry about what God does when it gets in his hands. Did you know that? You, the little that you have, it's above your pay grade to worry about what God's going to do with it. You just give it to God, and if we give the little that's in our hands, God can make some amazing things happen, and we're going to see what happens. And because it, it, all I'm saying is if this little boy had kept his five barley loaves and two fish, he would have still had his lunch, but 5,000 people would have missed out on a miracle. And not just one miracle, but let's just be honest, it's a 5,000 miracle, right? Because it just didn't happen once, it happened 5,000 times. The boy became somebody else's miracle. Guys, OneChurch.tv, you have the possibility of being somebody else's miracle. Do you know that? You. In first service, we said goodbye to a wonderful couple by the name of Johnny and Jamie Waters. They came... Uh, to one church because somebody invited them, boldly invited them. And they showed up when we were still at the movie theater a long time ago. And you know what? It's amazing because their family has become so close. They've had children come to know Jesus Christ here at one church. And the army, uh, they're phasing out his job here and they're moving him to, to Washington State. <laughs> and what's so crazy you know, just talking with them, uh, their, their giving is going to help that next person who PCSs the Campbell to be able, to, their sacrifice is going to help that next person coming in. And I just want to encourage you, you can be somebody else's miracle. Keep on reading. Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks. He handed out the bread to those who were seated. He gave them as much as they what? What do we call this in America? all-you-can-eat buffet, right? Some of you, you read the Bible, and it says buffet your body, and you've been doing that. I've been doing that for a while, right? You're like, okay, Golden Corral. By the way, I don't go to Golden Corral, 
Don't like to go and crowd. You may love to go and crowd. I'm not going to meet you there, right, uh, after church. Just not. So, the, but it's one of these things. They ate as much as they wanted, and look at this. And they did the same with the fish. And I think the secret of this is giving thanks. It's, it's the, the gratefulness of being thankful was the multiplier here in this story. You see, let me tell you what joy does. Joy isn't getting what you want. Do you know that? Joy is being appreciating what you already have. And some of you, we keep on wanting more and more and more, and we never have joy. Because joy isn't about getting more. It's about appreciating what you have. And for some of you, when you take your 100% and you give 10% to God, you know what that's going to entail? You're going to enjoy your 90%, 10% more. And for others, you take your 100% and you give 20% to God, you're going to enjoy your 80%, 20% more. And you're going to go, wow, I, you know, God's doing some amazing things. And he does. When we give to God, we can't outgive God. I love that. Last verse. When all of them had enough to eat, all right, they pushed back from the table and they went, mm. when they all had enough to eat, Jesus spoke to his disciples, gather the leftover pieces. He said, don't waste anything. He said, be a good steward with it. Be a good steward with it. And that's exactly what we're doing as well. I'm telling you, with bold, none of this money is going toward, it's in a separate bank account. We're not doing anything. We're not buying anything here. It's all going towards moving to a permanent location. Look at this. Don't waste anything. So they gathered what was left over from the five barley loaves, and they filled what? Twelve baskets with the pieces left. I love that. The boy starts with five and two, and you get 12 baskets that are jam-packed, slam-dunked, full to the gills, literally. That was a fish joke. Y'all are, y'all are with me, all right? Now, who wouldn't want a return like that on your investment? Anyone? I mean, all of us would, right? If some of you aren't raising your hands, that tells me when you get that return, just give it to me. Okay? I mean, think of it. If you gave seven and you were able to get 5000 for it, that's a pretty good return, don't you think? Okay, let's push back. What if you could give that seven and it would bless 5,000 other people and you would still get 12 baskets full left over? Would you still like that investment? I would say, yeah. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what you guys do over and over again at OneChurch.tv. Because it's not just giving your money. It's giving your life. And the reason why I say that, you think, think about it through this. You, your talent, your time, it took to be able to make that paycheck. And you give, and when you give, when you, give you become somebody else's miracle. And I just want to say thank you. But for those, all of us, how can we apply this? It's pretty simple, but you're not going to like it. Are you going to trust God giving to him? Or are we going to keep on making excuses? Like my wife and I did for years. How much money are you going to have to make for you to finally say, God, I'm really going to trust you, and I'm going to be obedient? Because, you know, when you have a dollar and you give ten, you give a dime, that's nothing, right? I mean, who, who has, I mean, you could throw a dime down today, right? No big deal. It gets crazy when the dollars get bigger, don't it? But the percentage still stays the same. So my encouragement to you, if this is your first time here, I'll be honest with you, we don't want your money. The offering plate is already passed. We did that intentionally. This isn't about 
wanting something from you. In fact, we want, to, we want you to give your heart to Jesus Christ because we believe that he will change. But here's one of, one of the things I realize, that if I'm going to become more like Jesus, then I have to obey what he's told me to obey. And sometimes that's even the parts that I don't like. So I'm going to ask, ask, answer a couple questions, excuse me, and then we're going to get out of here. Um, wow. Um, is Frank Gregg, I don't know where you are, but he just texted me a picture of Magnum P.I. Seriously. <laughs> See, that, that's what's scary when I have your name in my phone, Frank. All right. Is giving time just as important as giving money? That's a great question. Um, I, I know what the Bible says about money. I also know what the Bible says about, about serving. In fact, Jesus says this in Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So I believe it is, is important. <clears throat> My pushback on that is sometimes uh, if you're affluent, if you're wealthy, it's easy for wealthy people to just give money and not give their time. And the flip side of that, if you're not affluent, if you're not wealthy, it's easy for us to say, well, I'll, okay, I'll give my time, but I'm not going to give my money. And I, I feel like sometimes uh, we're making excuses. Again, that's what I did, so I'm not calling you out. So, so I think both are important. I really do. So um, that's a great question. I don't know who you are, um, but thanks for asking it. Um, all right. Can we consider adding the goal of uniting the body of believers right here in Clarksville to one church's vision? If we are going to be side by side for eternity, praising God together, we could, we could, we could unite the 18% of our city around the common beliefs in Jesus uh, through increased fellowship. Let me explain uh, what that means. If you missed last week, 88% of people in Clarksville don't go to church anywhere. That leaves 12%. So what this person is saying is, can the 12% of people get along? <laughs> I hope, and I pray, I will tell you, it's one of our goals. I meet with a bunch of ministers regularly here in town from different um, denominations and stuff because we want to be able to work together. And I'll tell you, we've got some godly men and some godly women leading some fantastic churches here in Clarksville. So it's my prayer, and thank you so much for your question, that we would do that, that we would not allow some of the things that divide us, but that we really would, as we talked about last week, that we would become one, and we would make Jesus the, the main thing. Uh, why do I still have faith that God has a plan? Why do I still have faith that God has a plan? I don't really know how to answer that question. I think maybe the person who's asking that, maybe you've struggled through some pain, and you, you're wondering, okay, if God was, is really real, then why should I continue to trust him and maybe his plan? Here's what I know for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and future and a peace. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. So my encouragement to you, whatever's happened, and I don't know what's happened in your situation, in your story, but know this, that God is bigger and he is bolder than that. And don't allow something that happened in your life maybe something somebody harmed you and that was a choice that they made it wasn't a choice that god made on you because you see we still have free will god allows us to have choices to be able to do right or to do wrong all right again great question 
Um, Um, I always love our music at church, but we just today I just sensed the Holy Spirit's presence from the moment we had pre-worship until the time I left. Such a good feeling. Again, thank you so very much. Um, let me just say this. Again, uh, I would encourage you, if you're here and you're like, okay, that's just too big of a step. I get that, guys. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm asking you, God's testing you, but God's also saying, test me. And maybe you don't give it all. Maybe you need to start with a percentage. Start with three percent start with five percent and 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 trust god in that because to tithe is to trust here's what i know about god because our god is faithful he will not allow you he he's he's not going to let you he's not going to just let you flounder he is going to protect you jesus said it this way look at the sparrows in the sky look at the lilies in the field they have nothing but yet our, our heavenly father still provides for them God, our Heavenly Father, will provide for you. He will. So maybe start with 5% and see what happens. And then from there, you're going to realize, hmm. and I tell you, doing the online giving thing is such a help because if, I, if, every, if my obedience took me to write a check, I would never be obedient. I'm just being honest with you. I just never would. So we were, we've been able to find a system that works for me and my house. You've got to figure that with you, okay? So thank you so much for being here. I'm going to ask Patrick Fowler to come on out. And um, as Patrick Fowler comes on out, I just want to say this. If you missed last week, I want to encourage you when you leave to go by the bold tables because we have some information there with all about the plans and everything of where we're going. We don't want you to miss that. So make sure uh, to pick that up. Ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Fowler. Y'all give it up for Pat. Love you, dude. I really do. I love you. You have red hair, and I still love you. So um, I'm just joking. I'm going to stop let's, talking. Let's give it up for these, for these youth that are hanging out with us this morning. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, in fact, if you're an adult who works with youth, um, or you're a youth that works with youth, can you just stand up? Guys, you, these guys. people had no sleep this weekend. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. All right, you guys can have a seat. Just a couple quick things. I know we're... Uh, we're getting up on lunchtime, and you guys are making your plans.